Philadelphia, Viva Puerto Rico. All right. Hey, I'm blessed to be with you before you. If you were here last night, raise your hand. If you remember being here last night, raise both hands. If paralysis is over forever, give God a shout of praise indicative of the fact that it is. You may be seated. So there was a struggle that took place, and let me explain to you. I'm just going to share a few minutes here with you. And the struggle had to do with a few years back, I found myself in light of, besides pastoring a church and leading a network and so forth, let me explain. When I was 14 years of age, I grew up in a town called Bethlehem, Pennsylvania in the United States on the East Coast. And I grew up as an evangelical Trekkie, which means I'm evangelical, but I was a Trekkie, a diehard Star Trek fan. That makes me a Trekkie. And not, not some of the new stuff, not the whole Christopher Pine, not that stuff. That's, that's like sacrilegious anti-orthodoxy. That's the fake stuff. That's, that's the, we're talking about the real orthodox, pure doctrinal William Shatner, Leonard Nimoy, the real Star Trek. And live long and prosper, I speak Klingon, you name it. If you're not a Trekkie, you have no idea what I'm talking about right now. But I grew up a diehard Trekkie, and my parents are not preachers. I'm a faith and science guy. I'm a thinker. For whatever reason, God gave me a strong affinity for mathematics. So, I, you know, calculus is the language of God, whether I believe it or not. And, and, and everybody who failed math, you're going to hate this. But anyway, it's the language of God. So I grew up in church, and I doubt it. I doubt, it was an Assemblies of God church, so it was Pentecostal in its polity. And I saw stuff, not in my church, but like on Christian television and in different venues of ministry that I doubt it, man. I went, man, that's fake, that's emotional exuberance, that's like a snake oil salesman. Uh, He's making that up, that guy's pushing that guy down. Why do they hit the floor? And all of that. Uh, They speak different languages, the whole speaking in tongues, all of that. I was a skeptic. And so I doubted all of that. So I was an evangelical Trekkie agnostic. Obligated to go to church because I had no choice. My parents were from Puerto Rico. And they obligated me. And if you know anything about the Puerto Rican culture other than Jennifer Lopez, um, it's just Puerto Ricans are strong culturally. And, you know, you really had no choice. So uh, it was in an authoritarian regime, no democracy. And so I was obligated to go to church. So I'm 14 years old. And I'm seated right about there. And this guy comes in from a ministry called Teen Challenge. And I never met the man before. He was a Teen Challenge choir director. I'm 14, mind you. He comes in, and, he's, and he has the, the entire Teen Challenge choir, and they're singing, first time in our church. And he stops right there midstream in a song. Stops, just abruptly stops, and says, oh, I have to stop the song because God is giving me a word for a young man here, and... The young man's name is Sam, Samuel, Samuel, Sammy. There's a Sammy here. And that's how we, just like that. Now, the church being Latino, they went, there he is. <laughs> like, like no one even thought about, maybe you'll feel uncomfortable. They didn't give a holy hoot. They just shouted, ahí está el muchacho. And I'm, and, and I'm going like, oh, my God. 
And I'm going right there. If there is a rapture, let it happen right now. Let it happen now. So the, the guy points me out. When you're 14, man, and you're in front of a church, and the man begins to say stuff like, and the Lord says, this is what God says, Samuel. He's going to use you mightily. He's going to take you around the world. He's going to blah, 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 blah. Wait a second. He's, you're going to be a leader amongst leaders. Matter of fact, you're going to pray over presidents. You're going to speak to presidents. You're going to advise. 14. And I'm going, presidents? Presidents of what? The YMCA? The boys club? <laughs> presidents, right? But I'm like going, wow. So this was, this was witnessed by everyone there. There was a young lady seated over here. She was a little bit older than I, just a tad. I have to say that like because I'm contractually obligated to say that. She's a, a tad older, a not, not a lot. I'm obligated to say that. And she saw that and she said, I'm going to invest in that guy. I'm going to marry that guy if this is true. She's my wife now for 28 years. I'm contractually obligated. I can't tell you how much older because then she, she made me sign off. I could never share how much older. Oh, man. And then I have to buy her, like, more shoes and all that. It becomes really complicated. It's just drama. So she was there. She witnessed it. 14 years old. What, do I, what does this have to do with anything I'm sharing with you? Well, it's been a journey ever since. Put the photo up, please. If you have the photo, put it up quickly. Not that photo. The other one. That one. If you look to your left, to your right, that's the inauguration. And that's yours truly. And this is the third president, by the grace of God, that I serve as an advisor to. And it's three presidents, George W. Bush, Obama, and now President Trump. I disagreed with them, each of them, in respect of policies. One of them in particular, I disagreed with 92% of his policies. I won't mention who that was. Uh, but I, <laughs> you just use common sense and you'll come to that conclusion. And, but, I, but, but God had me there. And, and this, this, is, this has to, I just want to share with you, there's some leadership principles that I learned from the age of 14 to getting there, January 2017. I'm the first Latino evangelical in American history. I'm the first Puerto Rican in American history. The first person from my denominational stream. The first person who ever, I, I'm, I'm, how can I put this in a way that's not awkward for some? The first person in American history who prays in a heavenly language. To ever, you get what that means? If you know what that means, raise your hand. If you have no idea, somebody could demonstrate. You get this, right? In American history, the first, yeah. In American history to participate in a ceremony that is viewed by over 1.1 billion people around the world. And so that moment, and it came at a very awkward time. I'm not political, by the way, believe it or not. I'm not political. I've served as an advisor. I just walk into the White House. I speak to presidents. And I, I come into the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I don't buy, I don't sell out to a political ideology. In America, Republicans are represented by the elephant. That's the mascot. The Democrats have a mascot. I kid you not. You could do your Google due diligence. It's a donkey. Really. That's like for reals. The Democrats have a donkey as a mascot. The Republicans have an elephant. So I was interviewed one time, and they asked me, Reverend Rodriguez, what, we, which agenda is yours? And, and my answer became, it went viral, and it became a book. And my response was, I'm not married to the agenda of the donkey or the elephant. I am married exclusively to the agenda of the lamb. 
And I state it because the donkey never died for me and the elephant never resurrected for me, but the lamb. The lamb died. The lamb, matter of fact, it's not only the lamb, it's the lion of the tribe of Judah. And that's the agenda. And the only agenda that can change America and the world for that matter is the agenda of the lamb. So I go in there. I'm an independent, but I have values that are driven through the word of God. So I speak righteousness and justice. And I walk through the White House and I'm walking, praying in the spirit. And it's awkward, to, but I'm, I'm just walking in there praying this believing that the words that come out of my mouth will have an impact on public policy that will save lives in the womb and out of the womb, that will reconcile righteousness with justice, that will protect religious liberty for the free advancement of the gospel of Jesus. I want my children and my children's children to hear the gospel of Jesus preached. And if Christianity becomes outlawed, be a de facto or de jure, if our belief system becomes so marginalized that we can't express it in the public sphere, then this entire thing will go to hell in a hand basket. So if I want my children and my children's children to hear the gospel of Jesus, silence is not an option. I can't be silent. I just can't go to church on Sunday and go, oh, praise be the name of the Lord. And then Monday through Saturday, act like nothing was happening. No, I'm going to go to church on Sunday. I'm going to receive a new anointing. But on Monday through Saturday, I'm going to change the world. I'm going to change the world. I'm going to let everyone know that there is salvation, deliverance, and healing in the name of Jesus. So it's a matter of being light. So in, in the next 20 minutes, let me lay out just a, a, biblical, a biblical formula. I was up there, and, and I'm going to show you because right before I picked up that microphone, and I need to put this in perspective, this is, if any, you could YouTube it, but what I said from that stage, there were words at the end that came out that weren't mentioned from, for a very long time. A certain name was mentioned that was not mentioned for a very long time from that podium. And it began and opened up a, a positive Pandora's box. It was very affirming what took place post facto. But right before I picked up that microphone, I am seated. I'm right behind, I'm seated right here. The Bushes are here, the Clintons are here. President Obama and Michelle right here, First Lady right here. The Supreme Court was right here. Congress was here, the Senate is here, the people were here, and everyone confused was over here. So I'm, I'm about to, to go. I'm, about, I'm the first, there's a Catholic bishop, and then myself. I'm the first evangelical Protestant to go up. So I'm about to go up, and I'm on my phone because everyone else was. And, right, and by the way, the signage on the seating was don't, no cell phones. The Supreme Court, all the former presidents, everyone here was on their phones. And of course, peer pressure, I acquiesced. So I'm on my phone, I just, it's a true story, my daughter Lauren could verify this. You know, I, I was out of it, because I, I didn't sleep well, because you're nervous for that sort of thing, and my wife and I were sequestered by the Secret Service right beforehand, we were. So I'm like kind of out of it, so I'm about to go on, and, and all of a sudden, I'm like on the phone, and I get this text from my daughter. Now my daughter's 21 years of age, she's very respectful, educated, anointed, loves Jesus, and I never received any sort of message like this, or either, you know, in person, or this was the message. Dad, shut your mouth. And I immediately went fatherly, like I forget about, I forgot about my assignment forthcoming, and I went, pardon me? She went, Dad, you're on Fox News and your mouth is wide open right now, shut your mouth. 
<laughs> so I found myself going like, <laughs> so I shut my mouth. And, and I looked at the camera and went like, I get this, this message out of the blue. Never got it before, never got it after. I have a firewall on my phone in light of what I do. So it, it should never, I should never have received the message. It was an inbox through Facebook Messenger. Kid you not. Again, I have a firewall because of what I do. So the, a message pops up right before, I mean like three minutes before I'm about to go up. This was the message. It popped up. It never should have popped up. And, and all the techies out there, it should never have popped up. Boop. And I'm going, what is this? Click. Aaron Rodriguez, we're watching you right now on CNN. Reverend Rodriguez, you got to get off the stage. Something tragic is about to take place. Do not participate in this ceremony. Inform Secret Service there is a threat, blah, 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 blah. On my phone. I'm right here. I'm going, la sangre de Cristo, padre, ¿qué es esto? <laughs> so, I'm, now, this is where you, this is, this, the Holy Spirit that very moment spoke so clearly to me and said, it's a distraction. This is the enemy attempting to distract you from your destiny. Right there. Like, it wasn't like there was a 20-minute note. The Spirit of God just said, ignore it, block it, delete it. So the power of Facebook, I blocked, I banned you delete, block, ban, I rebuked, I cast out. I said, devil, I, I'm laying hands on my iPhone in the name of Jesus. I cast you out. I blocked it because disruption is the enemy strategy right before the fulfillment of your destiny. There is disruption that leads to division, that leads to destruction, that leads to perpetual darkness. That is the rubric of hell. The enemy comes against you right before you're the fulfillment of destiny, right before your great. As a matter of fact, if any of you are under spiritual assault, the devil's not attacking you because of the foolish things you did in your past. He is attacking you because of the glorious things you're about to see in your future. It's not about what you did. He's not threatened by your past. He's threatened by your future. So if you are under spiritual assault, if you feel there's pushback, if you feel there's spiritual warfare, if I were you, I would put a smile on your face. It only means there's great destiny and purpose. There's great, are you with me? That means that God has something amazing waiting for you. So let me explain. It's, we do live, the, that's the rubric, but it... it I asked the Lord, what do you want me to share in front of 1.1 billion people? And God said, tell them, tell them to turn on the light. So that's what I shared from that podium. All I did was just explain the fact that God always begins by turning the lights on. Life requires light. Faith requires light. When we hear the voice of God, it wasn't to say, let there be joy, peace, or even love. The first time we ever hear the voice of God, Genesis 1-3, let there be what? Let there be light. So because we do live in a Genesis 1-2 moment, we live in a moment now of great darkness, and darkness prevailed upon the face of the deep. And if you turn on the news right now, we do live in dark times. We live in, a, in some have argued we live in the darkest hour. 
darkened by sin, immorality, moral relativism, spiritual apathy, cultural decadence, infanticide, racism, pornography, poverty, violence, false prophets, watered-down preaching, hypocrisy, unbridled consumerism, voyeurism, materialism, secular totalitarianism, tyranny, discord, bigotry, division, hatred, jealousy, and unbelief. We live in a Genesis 1-2 moment, and darkness prevailed upon the face of the deep. But let me speak prophetically now. I believe that Genesis 1-2 will not be the final chapter. I believe that we, this generation, matter of fact, the generation that's emerging, ooh, I believe it's a Genesis 1-3 generation. It's a let there be light generation. And so at the end of the day, every single time light stands next to darkness, light always wins. And Matthew 5, 14 to 16 really captures it all. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men, and they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So if you break this down from a leadership model, this biblical passage outlines what we must do to see darkness flee. By the way, you can focus on darkness. Darkness, you can pray about darkness. If you go into a dark room, you can go into a dark, completely dark room. You can rebuke the darkness, pray about the darkness, fast about the darkness, complain, whine. You could tweet something. You can post something about the darkness. There's an, actually an easier antidote. Turn on the light. So instead of focusing on how dark the world is, why not turn on the light? If the church can turn on the light, we are not whiners. We are not the bad news people. We are not the whining people. We are not the complaining people. We can't be the angry people. We are the good news people. We are the people that turn on the light. We are those in every single community, in every single circumstance. We carry an anointing to turn on the light. Are you with me? Yes, we are a bit Pollyanna-ish, which means we're optimistic. Yes, we do see the glass half filled and not half empty because we have this incredible thing called faith. We have this incredible thing called faith. So it's, but, but it begins by be light by who you are. If you exit the scripture in order, it begins with you are the light of the world, which is identity clarification. What does that mean? It's a question of who are we? It's a quintessential query stemming from the existential womb. Who are we? We can't be light until we discover who we really are. I could never have approached that podium until I discovered who I truly was in Christ. We can't be light until we repudiate every single vestige of identity moratorium because it's an issue of identity. Who are you? What defines you? You're never going to see your destiny lived out. You're never going to see light overcome darkness in your life and around your life until you discover who you really are. Who are you? Are you defined by your past? Are you defined by your circumstances? Are you defined by what others say about you? Here's the great news from what took place on the cross. Jesus defines you. Jesus defines you. You're not defined by what surrounds you. Don't drink the Kool-Aid, man. You're not defined by what surrounds you. You're defined by God's spirit inside of you. You're not defined by your circumstance. You're defined by his covenant. You're not defined by the hell you're going through. You're defined by the heaven you're going to. You're not defined by your failures. You're defined by his forgiveness. You're, for all the religious folk, you're not defined by what you do for God. You're defined by what God already did for you. 
the cross, the empty tomb, the upper room, his blood, his word, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You're defined by Galatians 2.20. My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I, but it's Christ who lives in me. So who are you? There is an attempt in 2018, in the 21st century, there is an attempt to define us, to define us. To all of us, corporately, there really is. There's an attempt to marginalize us and to put us in a little corner. And the enemy would be happy if he can somehow keep us in a little corner singing Kumbaya every Sunday. There is an attempt to define us corporately as the ecclesia. So who are we? It behooves us to ask, are we another religious faith narrative competing in the marketplace of ideas? Are we a feel-good apparatus for the spiritually impaired? Are we an antiquated conduit for a set of irrelevant values no longer applicable in the world of Facebook, iPad, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube? How we respond will determine whether or not, if in our generation, light will once again overcome darkness. So who are we? Man, we really got to respond clearly. We got to, uh, we have to raise the volume. With truth and love, we have to raise the volume. We must respond with clarity, conviction, and courage. We cannot let the world define us. We cannot let politicians define us. We cannot let culture or society define us. We know who we are. We, I said we know who we are. We were already defined when Jesus died on the cross and resurrected, ascended, and sent the Holy Spirit. We know who we are. We're not just another religion. We're not just another website. We're not just we're not a construct. Who are we? We are a city on a hill. We are people of the word. We are salt and light. We are prophetic and not pathetic. We are disciples, witnesses, and Christ followers. We are evangelists, pastors, and teachers. We are children of the cross, fruit of the empty tomb, and product of the upper room. We are the redeemed of the Lord, the sheep of his pasture. We are forgiven, free, and favored. We are called and chosen. We are warriors and worshipers. We are the righteousness of God. We are world changers and we are history makers we are the bride of Jesus let me tell you what we are not we are not Google we are not Microsoft we are not Ford this is gonna break my heart and we're not even Starbucks we are the church of Jesus Christ and the gates of hell shall not will not cannot may not prevail against us if you believe that give God a shout like you're part of that church We are the light of the world. We are the light of the world. So what I, which means we are not first and foremost black, white, yellow or brown, Hispanic, charismatic or automatic. We are above all born again, blood washed, spirit empowered, devil rebuking, demon biting, children of the living God. So you can be light by knowing who you are. Remembering that God doesn't call the perfect, he calls the willing. Ah. He doesn't call the one that has it all. He calls upon those that are willing to surrender it all. Because every single time light stands next to darkness, light always wins. So be light. Be light. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Don't hide it. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. The stand represents the facilitative platform on which we shine the light of Christ. So where do we stand? We stand on the undeniable and unshakable reality that Christ is the hope of glory. We stand on John 14, 6, like I mentioned yesterday. Christ, Jesus is the way, the way, the truth, and the life. And don't ever forget that. 
We stand on righteousness and justice, Psalm 89, 14. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Unfailing love and truth walk before you as attendants. When I met with the pastors on Monday, I told them that we stand on a cross that is both vertical and horizontal. And for too long, there has been a dichotomy. Christianity has been divided in the 20th century primarily between vertical Christians and horizontal Christians. The cross is both vertical and horizontal. The, it, to use an American uh, example, in America, Christianity was divided between the followers of Billy Graham and the followers of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Because the cross is both vertical and horizontal. But for too long, we've created a split. Vertical Christians are those that say, Jesus is coming. He's the only way. I am saved. I'm going to heaven. Whatever happens around me, Deuces, it, it, just, it is what it is, but I'm going to heaven and I'm saved. Horizontal Christians are, we want to change the world. We, we want justice and we want this to take place. And we want to, that's, but it's not either or. The cross is both vertical and horizontal. I told the pastors, we, we have to stop. Let this be the generation that understands that the cross is both vertical and horizontal. It is both righteousness and justice. It is both sanctification and service. It is both holiness and humility. It is orthodoxy and orthopraxy. It is ethos and pathos. It is John 3.16 and Matthew 25. It is Billy Graham and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. It is the New Jerusalem and Auckland, New Zealand. The cross is both vertical and horizontal. Let this be the generation that will lift up their hands in worship, but will stretch out their hands in helping out their fellow man. Let this be the generation that will lift up the name of Jesus on Sunday and Monday through Saturday. We we will help our brothers and our sisters come out of their pit, come out of their circumstance and realize the loving, grace-filled work of Christ. And when we do that, we will change the world. We stand on that cross. We stand on that message. No longer a dichotomy. And I, I reference to the pastors that the strongest part of the cross is the nexus it's where the vertical and the horizontal intersect. That's where you should do life, man. You are a vertical and horizontal human being. You do this in order to do this. This, this to this. And the nexus is the strongest part, a balanced life. That's where we reconcile the optics of redemption with the metrics of reconciliation. This is where we get the fishes and the bread. This is the happy place the middle of the cross. There's a generation, millennials and generation Z, they will reconcile Billy Graham with Dr. King and they will change the world. And it's not either or. And by the way, this is not social justice. This is not a political justice ideology that extrapolates and extracts all vestiges of God and righteousness and integrity and purity and truth. No. If all you do is justice without righteousness, you're wasting your time. Because justice without holiness is an exercise in futility. Biblical justice is holiness applied horizontally. Which means you still believe in the righteousness of God. You believe in biblical truths. You believe in eternal absolutes regarding humanity, regarding the Word of God, regarding family, regarding sexuality, but you are equally committed to changing the world around you. That's how you are light. Let me wrap up. Be light. Be light by what you do. In the same way, let your light shine before men and they may see your deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Jesus changed the world because of who he was, what he said, and what he did, his character, his rhetoric, and his actions. Let us do likewise. Ephesians 5.8. 
You were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light. We shine when we understand that Christianity is less about promoting the perfect and more about blessing the broken. We illuminate our surroundings when we embrace the truth that Christianity stands measured not by the level of rhetorical eloquence, but rather by the constant of loving actions. We push back darkness when we recognize that every single human being in and out of the womb is created in the image of God. Everyone, everyone. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. 1 Corinthians 4.20. Oh, by the way, we magnify the light when we realize that a divided church will never heal a broken world. Our actions, reactions, and interactions should conform to the following prophetic outline. It takes conviction to repent, courage to speak truth, holiness to see God, faith to move mountains, and love to change the world. That's our calling. So when the reporter asked me, what do, you, what do Christians do besides going to church on Sunday and whining about things Monday through Saturday? This is my response. You got it all wrong. We love, we forgive, we bless our enemies, we walk in integrity, we quench the thirsty, we feed the hungry, we welcome the stranger, we take care of the widow and the orphan, we preach the word in and out of season. We worship in spirit and in truth. We do justice. We love mercy. We walk humbly. We are light. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never overcome it. John 1, 5. Here's one of the most powerful verses you could ever read. 1 Samuel 3, 3. The lamp of God has not gone out yet. The lamp of God. So I got the microphone. I approached the podium. They called me up, Reverend Samuel Rodriguez. I got the microphone. I read exactly what I read to you. I read to 1.1 billion people. But I wrapped up. For many years, a certain name was not mentioned. A reporter from a certain magazine asked me 48 hours prior, a magazine whose name you would recognize, asked me, Reverend Rodriguez, will you, will you mention the name? And I went, what name? She went, you know the name. And I, and I knew what name. I was just, just you know, pulling her chain. What name? She went, stop it, Sam. Will you mention the name? The name that hasn't been mentioned. The name that is controversial. The name that if you mention it, you alienate a lot of people because it's, are you gonna mention that name? And, and, that, and I answered, why don't you just watch and see what happens? So I, I did. So I looked at the cameras, the presidents were here, Congress, Supreme Court. I looked at the audience right there, the cameras, BBC, everyone around the world, right there, all around the world, live. Looked at the cameras and I said, finish reading Matthew 5, 14, 16, shared a bit, looked at the camera, looked around and said, now I say all of this and I pray all of this, looked around and said, with great due deference, respectfully, because I remember when I was 14 years of age, seated right there, and I knew that the best way to push back darkness, it's not to complain about it, it's to turn on the light. So I looked at the cameras and said, I say all of this in the name of Jesus the Christ. Amen and amen. Ladies and gentlemen, you have no idea what that means in America. Right behind me, the president said, amen. The members of Congress said, go ahead, YouTube it, amen. The crowd in front of me said, amen. All 
over the world, people from Australia, New Zealand, from London, from Asia, they were, they were texting me saying, Pastor Sam, a big amen. All around the world, over one billion people heard the name of Jesus mentioned, outlined, declared, prophesied, proclaimed, preached. It was all over the place. It resonated. It resonated. So, so let me leave you. They asked me, they asked me post facto, Reverend Rodriguez, were you trying to be controversial? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Were you, were you trying to stir things up? Yes. Well, you, you, isn't that like contradictory? I go, absolutely not. Were you trying to be controversial? No. Were you trying to stir things up? Were you trying to just, yes. Well, which is it to stir things up? What do you mean? I went, ma'am, you don't seem to get it. To you, it's just a name. But to the universe, to all of existence, when I mention that name, when I mention that name, you don't seem to get it, but you will one day. When I mention that name, every devil, demon, legion, principality, and power of darkness has to bow down and acquiesce at the power of that name because there is no greater name than the name of Jesus. It is the power of that name. Lift him up, exalt him, worship him because every time light stands next to darkness, light always wins. God bless you.